Real Fun DC. So good you'll eat it up. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on a deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now sometimes there's a focus on culture and sometimes there's a focus on travel trends and sometimes there's a focus on passion projects, but it all comes back to the industry. Now before I dive into this week's fab discussion, and it is fab, uh, I wanted to take you on my travels and dining discoveries of the week. Um, I did go to the Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month fundraiser at Anju. Uh, it's featuring, it featured, excuse me, Chicago's uh, David Park, so much deliciousness, while also raising funds for the amazing Embrace Race cause. Now, I've talked about them here before. Embrace Race is an organization that supports parents to raise brave, informed, and thoughtful children about race. Um, something I think we can all completely get behind right now. Um, so if you missed that dinner, there are lots of others going around the DC metro area. Check out the list areyouwanted.com for all of them. Um, I did, believe it or not, since we've last been together, uh, it took a quick trip to Kiowa, uh, stayed at the beautiful Sanctuary Resort, um, really lovely accommodations, terrific pooling, great beaching, the beaches are gorgeous. Um, not so great eating, if I'm being honest. Um, it's a little institutional. Um, I think a lot of people are really more there for the golf than they are for the food. Um, but having said that, the good news is, is that Charleston is a short ride away. So back to Leon's, we went for fried chicken and champagne and oysters. And we finally made it to the Israeli Butcher and Bee, which is James Beard nominated this year. Um, licked our plates clean that whipped feta with the spicy infused chili honey um was ridiculous and i think i'm actually going to try making it this weekend because i'm pretty sure i can make that happen i can't duplicate their pita which was so yummy but i'm going to try that dish this weekend i will follow up or you can see that on my social media now back in dc i popped into ellie benchamal's apero for more champagne and lots and lots of luscious caviar. Uh, and last night we celebrated uh, Big E's 22nd birthday with a very special dinner at Cafe Riggs. Uh, that dining room is so posh, I just love it there. And uh, we just had such a lovely time. And of course, if you listen to the show, you know my other son, Sam, he works downstairs at Silver Lion. So uh, we did not go for cocktails, but of course we said hello. Uh, okay, so to keep up with all that is happening and the food, wine, and hospitality, Vitality scene again go to the list are you on it.com follow me at n-y-c-c-i-n-e-l-l-i-s on instagram facebook and twitter for all my gallivanting around because while charleston was great i've got some more trips coming up and i cannot wait to take you with me lastly every sunny sunday tune in to foodie and the beast on 1500 with david and i we are 14 years in running and each week is more delicious than the next Okay, I try my best to amplify the voices of the food, wine, and hospitality scene through my multiple platforms. Now, today's guest really does that too. Nina Adoro, she is one of the co-founders of Dine Diaspora, and she launched that with her partner, Mame Wache, and they, I'm gonna let her tell you what she does, but uh, they are black women owned and operated agency that 
focuses on culinary community and commerce. They connect people and brands to the African diaspora. And um, this is so important now because raising up not just women's voices, but women of color's voices is incredibly important, especially when it comes to the food industry. So I'm so excited that you're here to join me, Nina. Hi, how are you today? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. It's, um, it's great. I'm so thrilled you're here. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? What's your background? So I um, grew up in Northern Virginia, actually, um, by way of Ghana. I was born in Ghana. My parents are Ghanaian and came to the D.C. area, um, particularly Alexandria, Virginia, um, at the age of seven. And so, you know, grew up in the area, went to college in Virginia, um, went away for grad school. And, and eventually I actually ended up in Ghana. Um, because I really wanted to, you know, connect with my um, heritage, but also um, be a professional adult and, and get to like, be a professional in the country and, and work and live and, and um, grow up a little bit there differently than when I grew up in the US. Mm -hmm. So um, coming back to DC um, is when mommy and I um, got together and, um, you know, our ideas catalyzed for what you we have now. Where did you, where did you meet mommy? So it's so interesting. Me and Mame actually um, knew of each other. We were part of a organization, like a professional organization here in DC, but we had never really met. Um, and so we met in Ghana for the first time. So while we, I was in Ghana, Mame was running a really uh, innovative um, uh, experience um, in a company called Reconnect. And Reconnect was connecting diaspora to Ghanaians that were local with business opportunities, with um, connections, with um, different uh, um, opportunities to really build relationships across diaspora groups, mm -hmm. um, particularly Ghanaian. And so I went to this event and we actually met for the first time there, although we were aware of each other virtually. Um, and so coming back, she was actually working on her project. I had another project I was working on. And um, we came up with this idea and just kind of got, you know, started. Um, we started with dinners actually. Um, and our whole thing was kind of taking, you know, the idea of connection and relationship building, um, especially in DC where um, oftentimes people can be really focused on just getting things done. Um, DC people are often go-getters. The city runs that way, you know. Very, we are a focused, <laughs> focused, group we are a yeah. we work hard we all work ambitious <laughs> we all work do you know what i mean uh one, I think one, of jokes, one of the jokes about dc is is when you go you know a, a, i don't know what other people talk about in other places but they're like oh yeah when you're in dc the first question people ask is what do you do and yeah. i'm always like i mean i'm not from dc originally but i'm always like i mean what else do you i mean <laughs> what do you do don't we want to know what you do <laughs> Um, the, exactly. That's how we felt. And it was like, I think as you're moving along in your career, there's a spirit of, okay, now we got past what do you do? What, let's build relationships, actually. Let's actually find meaningful connections because it often comes to, oh, let's meet for lunch and nothing ever happens. Right. So with that in mind, we were searching for more meaningful connections. And so we thought of, well, how do we want those meaningful connections to actually happen? what do we want those experiences to be like? Because if we're seeking it, we must assume others might be interested. So that's how we actually came up with our first dinner idea. 
Um, and back then, you know, in person <laughs> was a thing all the time. Um, we called them signature dinners. Um, and we had our first one with Chef Eric and Japon, actually. Um, and the idea was to bring people over a dinner, facilitate a, a conversation, um, and also have an African diaspora chef that was doing their own menu. Oftentimes, the chefs are in restaurants behind the scenes doing menus for those that own it, with those with the concepts. So we really wanted to embrace their own um, heritage and journey and story through an intimate gathering where they got to also be a part of the experience. Mm -hmm. So that's how it started and my journey to the space. And so you two launch it, you start with these dinners, but it grows pretty fast and you start doing yeah. other things. So let's talk about what your, how your intentions changed and how it evolved. So when we were first starting, we actually didn't know, okay, are we starting a business? Are we, we didn't know what we were doing. We just said, you know, let's do this dinner and let's see how it goes. If people like it, then we'll have a meeting. Literally, it was like, we'll have a meeting and see what happens. Again, we were both like busy on, with our own things. So we weren't really, we were testing an idea. That's basically what we were like. So after the first dinner, we took a survey and people were like, we want to do this again. The thing about those dinners is that whenever you do a dinner, we used to also, we also got into studying other dinner concepts at that time there was like dinner lab and you know uh, and the UK is really big on these um supper clubs yeah the experiential um, the experiential dinner I mean I I've been doing this for 20 years I've seen so many come and iterations and it's, yeah. some of it is great and some of it is not you know what I mean and I'll tell you we left the idea and I'll tell you why we we, we no okay. longer do want to know <laughs> and 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 why Dinner Lab and all those folks aren't around because we read a lot. We were like, well, we're going to jump into this. Let's see if it actually makes money. Let's see if there's really a business behind this idea. Mm -hmm. So we, 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 you know, we curated a few. And over the course, I, I think two years, we realized that it wasn't um, sustainable. Um, and we had amazing chefs. We, we would work with amazing chefs from all over. Um, but the and people loved it. That was the thing. People were like, we come, we build relationships. Um, and many of our, our relationships now are from those dinners um, uh, of people, uh, you know, Eric has become an extraordinary chef on TV everywhere. Um, so, you know, we were working with people that at that time were emerging as well. Um, and so identifying them, the whole process was such a beautiful experience. But um, we find that people one thing we did in our model was that yes you would come by invitation to a dinner but then your experience we would ask you to invite someone else to the next one so our target market wasn't necessarily those that had been before or those we had created a relationship it would be your friend so you would go and be like oh my gosh I love this so much I want my friend to come next time and then you wouldn't be invited so people would feel like they were influencers um, and they were you, everyone is the influencer <laughs> and that really enabled us to broaden and have a more sustainable model um, than relying on the same network. It allowed us to target a wider group of people than just our network. Because if you're if you don't have like a brick and mortar, if you don't have all these things, you're not able to have like people are not just like walking down the street and discovering you. You can't just be on a website waiting for people to sign up for your dinner. <laughs> so yeah. it was our, our marketing strategy as well. Mm -hmm. In that sense, we were able to um, cultivate and have multiple um, iterations. The issue was price points mm -hmm. um, and people 
it was just difficult to, you know, you playing for three course dinners and all these things, nice experiences, but always very hard to set the actual price it deserves so that you can make money. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I do. I listen, I think the ideas are great. Um, And as somebody who's gone to lots of dinners like that, uh, I think I did the food lab one. I've I've been to quite a few over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a couple that were not, they were really strange, you know, like they wanted you to participate in ways. Anyway, whatever, we could go down. (laughs) But um, my point is, is that I never understood the money model of it. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's one thing if you're going city to city and it's a one-time experience or something like that. Um, but I think uh, in order for the chefs to make money, and of course people want wine and there's a mixologist, like there's too many people to pay in order exactly. to get paid, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and our thing was also, we always needed to pay all of the people that were involved. So we paid the chefs. We were very, very intentional about how we, we never wanted someone to say, hey, we did this and it wasn't also an, an industry that was already inequitable. We didn't want to contribute to that. Um, and then it just felt exploitative to build our company on the backs of people that um, were looking to us to also connect them to opportunities. So that was a big thing for us. At the end of the day, when all the calculations were done, there was little left for us. Right. Um, and I think you bring up a good point. How does it these make money? We knew that unless a dinner is totally sponsored, by a company, it is very hard for us to have a good take home to have a sustainable business. Right. So along the way, we developed other concepts that were more sustainable, more profitable, but also were serving the community in a way where they were asking for it. So we never wanted to create something where the community also was like, why? (laughs) Because we had built a network. Yeah. I love that because, you know, a lot of times I say to chefs, or restaurateurs or, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, I had a farmer's market on, they were opening up a new farmer's market. And I was like, what did the community want? Or, you know, yes. I'll say to a chef, I mean, you're opening an X area. Yes. What do they, do they want what you're doing? You need to know that before you do it because yeah. if you don't want it, you're relying on people to come for it. And that's yeah. never going to work. So I really appreciate what you're saying. Yeah, and, and I think for us, it was like, if we're trying to develop a more sustainable model, who are our consumers mm-hmm. and what are they asking for? And one of the things they used to always ask for was a, a more accessible you know, um, version of the dinners, which meant that people, many people wanted, the dinners were small, maybe up to 20 people. So when people would see, they'd go, oh my gosh, I gotta get an invitation, I wanna be there. But we couldn't have a large, large dinner because it costs more, you know, all those factors. So we developed a new concept called Chop Bar, which was, you know, by design, it's like a festival Mm -hmm. that allowed people to engage with the same caliber of chefs at a larger scale event in a more festival tasting, you know, music, um, uh, uh, what is it? Um, We had music, we had art, we had, it was just a lot of happening, but it was fashioned around um, the idea of a makeshift restaurant. So Globally, um, I travel a lot and there's always these, you know, these small mom and pop shops that, you know, are not going to be big restaurants and they're like come as you are places. Um, And for us as founders, we're both um, have Ghanaian heritage and in Ghana, they're called chop bars. 
Oh, cool. And in many other countries, they have different names. So the concept was a chop bar and we designed the space as such. So everything looked makeshift, um, come as you are, just a fun four hours. <laughs> and um, folks like Chef Eric would be make the menu in bite size, you know, um, in small sizes, appetizer sizes, and it would go, people would get samples the whole time they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically we were developing new models as we were adapting to one, trying to make our business more sustainable, um, but also responding to our set network of, of consumers that we had cultivated over time. Um, and then it grew from there. More and more things <laughs> we, we began. So every, every step of the we kind of tested an idea um, along those lines. But now are you more of an agency? I mean, how would you yeah. sort of, so what does that mean for the two of you now? How does Dine Diaspora affect change? Yeah, so in the course of testing and you know building these relationships, we realized that where we, our secret sauce was the relationships that we had built. It, it was really with the chef partners, um, the um, people, the consumers. And so we stood at a unique, a unique section in the food and beverage industry where we're a company that both have, has access to people, people that want to engage, that we call them culinary enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. And then we also have access to the um, talent. So as an agency, we're able to kind of serve both functions. So companies will come to us for a variety of reasons, many productions, let's say, um, a company is looking to host a panel for their employees around food and culture. Um, we'd be able to get the right, you know, um, chef talents um, or speakers, people in the food and beverage industry to make that happen. Let's say that same company is looking to get people in the seats. <laughs> um, we would be able to connect them to the people, the enthusiasts that are looking to um, be part of that, you know, participate in that event. Um, so we've worked with several companies as an agency style. And then we can't really leave our roots behind. So we always try to serve the community with some of the events that we do as well. Um, over the years, we've, um, we've been able to do um, speakers, you know, bring speakers to DC um, or, you know, host panels ourselves um, or, you know, just different um, adventures, activities, keep doing chop bar um, when we could, because that's the core. I remember, so I, you know, when I travel, it's so interesting. Chop bar used to happen only in DC pre-pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we were on our fourth chop bar or before pandemic. And everywhere I go, people that know us are like, when's chop bar coming? I mean, I'm going to like Ghana and people are like, but when are you bringing chop bar? And I was just like, wow, this thing really had an impact. Right. Um, <laughs> so we can't, it's like, it's like the, the, group that we started and where we started, it's really important to them too, to have these opportunities. So mm-hmm. we're really always looking at how to um, bring things back. Um, and definitely post, post-pandemic, post we'll see how to bring more of our events back into the fold. Okay. But we, we've really been able to serve as an agency um, for, for a while now. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. And uh, is it who you work with important to you is who you choose as clients and since you're serving two communities right your your client based and then their customer base are are who these people are important to you certainly so on the consumer side i think we want to serve everyone right the idea that we call our our consumers culinary enthusiasts is because we believe that 
um, everyone or cultural, um, and we call them people that are culturally inquisitive. So they don't have a look, they don't have a belief, they don't fit a certain demographic. They are interested. They are people that are wanting to embrace the diversity of cultures and looking to really hone in on the African diaspora experience. And by African diaspora, we really mean the spectrum. We're talking about African-American culture, Caribbean, um, um, you know, from the continent of Africa. And everywhere you go in the world, Black people are there really looking and, and creating things, you know, and food is at the center of how that community connects. So that's on the consumer side. Mm -hmm. And then on the talent side, it's very important to us to have a focus on really showcasing talent of the African diaspora, but across the across the um, spectrum in that way too. When we look at the food system, we want to represent different facets of the food system. We're not just looking at chefs. We love our chefs and they do tremendous work. Oftentimes, many people's interaction in the food industry is through restaurants and that's where our chefs are. Yet the food system is quite vast. We have food media, you know. We have um, food tech. We we have so many you layers. Have, you have food tech. You have food makers. I mean, there's so many layers. There's incubators. I mean, there's so. The last ten years, what's happening in food? It's no longer just what comes on the plate in the restaurant. Definitely, definitely, and and more than ever, and I love where we're going as a society. We're really paying attention more to the to the producers, mm -hmm. you know, the farmers. Um, I mean, it's been going on for a while, but I think it was kind of catchy, farm to table. <laughs> um, but marketing. I think yes, it was marketing. Originally, yes. it was like every press release was like farm to table, farm to table, farm to table. And I was like, and yeah, Nikki, I have to say, I didn't really understand what that meant. <laughs> Well, I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, um, but yes, th that was really part of the sort of the language. But now, you know, with more focus on climate impact, um, I think there's more of a sense of, you know, really supporting our farming community, really understanding where food comes from. Um, I mean, just the fact that DC, you know, embracing a lot of people have been embracing, you know, um, urban farming mm -hmm. is a big deal. I mean, I think that's really transformative. Um, to how we look at food, to how we treat food, knowing where your food comes from, knowing how to grow something, mm -hmm. um, especially in a city, it's a rare thing to have. So we're really looking at the full food spectrum um, and cultivating talent across because I think no matter what we put, whether we're producing your event or working with a client that's doing something, uh, we want to make sure that we are providing them with um, people that are really invested in also shaping what the future of food looks like, that the future of food looks equitable. Um, it represents the facet of the food and beverage industry as a holistic food system. Mm. That, um, that's terrific and amazing. And now that you're here and now that you're able to affect that, what did you guys do during the pandemic? How did you, because you couldn't do events, but there were still plenty of clients and plenty of culinary, you know, fanatics out there. So how did you engage with that? I mean, you must have had to turn on a dime. Yeah. So luckily it's, it's been interesting. It was interesting during the pandemic because we had really never done a virtual event. 
it was something that, you know, you might be like, oh, let's do it hybrid, but then we wouldn't do it because it wasn't necessary. Nobody was doing, I mean. (laughs) It wasn't necessary. (laughs) I mean, I had never been on a Zoom call before. Do you know what I mean? Like I FaceTimed with my friends, but I wasn't on a Zoom. Like I live my life on Zoom now. It's unbelievable. Exactly. And I even, I think we were always scared to like charge people to attend events online. Like all those barriers. Um, it was, there wasn't that opportunity. Let's be honest. It wasn't an opportunity driven area to, to do, mm-hmm. but with the pandemic, we a- adapted fully to virtual. The great thing about us is that we actually, as a team, we're always virtual. We've never had an office space. We're always sort of like, you know, we only met for like annual retreat. Like we would do specific things together. But we were always once a week, virtual phone call meeting. That's how we've been over the seven years. Hmm. So when, when um, COVID hit, we went, one thing it, it, it affected, we were on our way to um, South by Southwest. We had a panel for South by Southwest set with Kwame Onuwachi. And just, it was a, I think it was a pinnacle um, moment for us, but you know, COVID. And it wasn't. I know. It it wasn't. Exactly. Here it was gone. Um, Such a great opportunity that we had um, worked on. So we said, okay, let's spend some time. We spent some time. We had like a full meeting to talk about how we would adapt some of the things that we would have in in person to virtual. Obviously, we couldn't have anything in person. So we let go. We we weren't having our chop bar. Chop bar never happened during COVID. Um, we weren't already doing the dinner series and we used to do a lot of panel events that we called dish and sips, um, mm-hmm. and book talks and things, all those things were gone. So we went to Instagram, just like many, many, um, companies did. We had a, a good Instagram following. So we said, okay, let's kind of just do things on Instagram, um, talks. We, we had our first p- partnership with um, a company, um, Afropunk, which is a large company. They do festivals and all these things. Um, and we started doing interviews with chefs on their platforms. Um, so that partnership was really born on a virtual, in a virtual space where I don't know if they, we would have had that um, synergy between us automatically in an in-person space. Mm. So COVID really was opening up a lot of opportunity to really also connect. We never had time to talk to other companies to really build partnerships. We were always like, oh, in this event, in this event, and this opportunity. And so COVID, I, I think since everyone had to slow down, we we had to do the same other companies. So here we were having conversations that we we should have had a long time ago. Um, I call that, and so I call that the COVID silver lining. I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, mm-hmm. it's hard for lots of people. And uh, I mean, a million deaths. I mean, we can again, go down a rabbit hole about how terrible it was. And it was, but there were some silver linings in it and it's important to take them and use. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think in those conversations too, you know, and in those opportunities, we were all recognizing, yeah, we're in a space that is not necessarily what we want. Um, And we have to recognize that it's not even a good, great space for the food and beverage industry. Mm-hmm. But what we were able to do is provide opportunities where they didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. So we also started doing um, we, um, um, partnerships and events with folks like Facebook. Um, everyone was looking for virtual opportunities and we knew if we mastered how to do it, we could do anything. So we started, you know, getting our Zoom account. You know, we, we, we were, we equipped ourselves on how to do great virtual events. 
um, and um, got some clients. But I think what was important for us is that here's an industry that's struggling. How can we pay these people for other things that they can do? Um, maybe not in the kitchen, but still other things they can do leveraging their experiences. And a lot of time it's also just talking about it or demonstrating something. Um, what, what is in the realm of the virtual world that was possible? So throughout COVID, we really learned a lot. Um, and we really, I think our, our, our company transformed. Um, and we actually were able to have more revenue um, as one of the few companies that I think in COVID were able to kind of go a different way, especially when you talk about food and beverage. Um, and we felt really lucky to have had um, that kind of opportunity, but it really sent to us too that our audience was global. Yet before COVID, we were so focused on the local, we never served our local, our, our global community. Um, and that's what COVID began to open up our, our world a bit and say, you know what, let's create opportunities for those people too. So we did events you know, online where anyone from anywhere could come as opposed to all these things that restricted access. Actually, I, it, you're 100% right because like for this show, I used to do it out of the line hotel. You had to come in studio. It was not an option to call in because, you know, the line hotel had the, you've been there. So, you know, the studio was in the lobby. It was really cool and sexy. So, you know, and now um, not being in the line hotel, uh, while I miss that studio greatly, um, I, uh, the stories I've been able to tell and share and the people I've been able to talk to, it's totally changed my vision, even for Foodie and the Beast, again, I hated doing, um, I used to do like one phone in per show because we usually do five guests. Um, and I hated it because we would talk over each other. You know, call-ins were terrible. But now with the Zoom platform, um, we can see each other. It's, it's, it's life-changing for me. Yeah. And it's also changed who I talk to and what, I, and what I'm available to share, even in the, the website, um, which is, probably 90% DC during <laughs> COVID there were virtual events happening everywhere. I was yeah. like, let's put them in. I mean, let's keep people busy, give them something to do. So now if people send me that stuff, I'm like, we can do it for not. There's no reason not to. So I'm totally with you. Listen, I don't, I want to, don't want to get lost in all this. Let's talk about your black women in food. Because that is something you guys have been doing for several years now. And I want to know more about what it is, how women get nominated, and what, what the affect and effect of that is. Sure. So one of the many um, initiatives that we were able to come up with over the years was the Black Women in Food Initiative. And we began this initiative actually um, five years ago. So around two years into the company, we realized that when we had clients, we were actually um, more likely <laughs> to work with male talent. Mm -hmm. We noticed that our boss, so we would look at our data and we were like, look, this looks, this is bad. This is not what we want. We want to provide equitable opportunities. And we sat and reflected, why is this happening? Why are we also, you know, sort of a part of a system that we're trying to, um, you know, have an, a, a more equitable outcomes. And we realized that, it was easier <laughs> to get access to the males. It was easier. They, they made, you know, they by had the money. Way, 
they have money, they have opportunities, um, they're being featured more. And it's a cycle. And, and without consciously stopping yourself, you fall into it. And that's what was happening to us. Mm-hmm. And as young as our company was, we said, you know what, how are we going to not fall into this even further? We love the people we worked with. We loved Eric. We love Kwame. We, it's not about what we like. It's really about shifting how we work or what we do and also creating opportunities for other people to join us in, in a way where it makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. So that's how we, that was the, the, the reason we said, you know what, maybe we need a list. We need a list of Black women in the food and beverage industry that are doing amazing things that it should be recognized for the work. But also with this list, perhaps it would make it easier for people to just find them. Mm-hmm. That's how it started. So we started that um, initiative um, more of a, as a recognition and an award for everyone, but also a, a place where people can kind of save and say, oh, I want to write about um, someone um, and they'll be right there. I want to hire someone from them. They'd be right there. So that's where how that list came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the years, we really built it out into um, a program, um, basically, where beyond the list, there's other opportunities for the women um, in, in the, that are honored and also beyond them. So this year for the first time, um, we released the list, but we're also launching a grants program mm. um, that is open to all Black women in the food and beverage industry, sponsored by Eat Okra, which is an app um, for Black um, restaurants, mm. for discovery of Black restaurants. Cool. And so the grant is a $5,000 grant. Um, that goes that that you know one uh, restaurant can win. It's focused on restaurants. Um, that any restaurant that wants to you know really grow their business in a particular way, we don't define what that means for you. It could be you know um, purchasing a new um, booking system. It could be whatever that means for a company, mm-hmm. um, and applies to the grant. Um, we're launching it in a few weeks, um, and people can find out about it. But there'll be grants available. Um, programming for for the women and also for um, those that are not um, selected or um, featured um, to be able to just build their work, um, build their portfolio and um, access more opportunities to be able to um, grow their careers. That's amazing. Um, It's so important uh, for organizations like yours to elevate uh, women's voices. Because there's, I mean, listen, there's, I feel that there's probably a lot of women, uh, especially women of color in the restaurant industry. They're just, they're hidden, you know, because other voices are bigger and stronger and have more money about it. And I mean, it's not news to you, I know, but you know, it is harder for women of color to get access to funding to launch their concepts do the, you know, whether it's a culinary concept, a restaurant, a craft or whatever, retail. Um, so giving them that initial platform and to help elevate is so important because the um, equality is tough. It's not, it's yeah. not happening. You, you hit it on the nail. Um, those are a lot of the challenges that we were seeing um, with black women in the food space. I think outwardly was the invisibility, right? That's what everyone sees. Well, or not sees. People may right. not be aware, you don't see it. right? You don't, you don't see it. So it's invisible. So you, you don't think about it. You don't see it. And, but that invisibility is, um, there's root causes for that. There's things that factors that play into it. It's not that they don't want to 
get these jobs or be in a magazine or et cetera, et cetera, is that maybe these opportunities are not coming to them because of the inequitable society that continues to perpetuate um, and put position men at the forefront. So we live in a very patriarchal society and um, compounded by racial, ethnic, all these divides um, and black women face um, all the compounding nature of our inequitable um, society. And so you hit on the nail. This is why the Black Women in Food Initiative um, is, exists. And we continue to build on um, supporting the women in critical ways that society um, does not enable them to thrive. So funding is, was one of our core um, focuses um, as we build, on, build a, a funding pool for Black Women in Food. I think that's amazing. And especially because obviously they're not invisible and they don't want to be invisible, but when you have so much, and you know, this, given what you do, when you have so much moving in front of your face all the time, right? We're, we're bombarded with, uh, media and look at me and see me on, you know, Instagram and read my email and see me on television and hear me on, like we're, we're bombarded by so much. So um, sometimes it, we just, we're not looking hard enough. You know, yeah. I, mean, I take I take full responsibility myself. You know, sometimes it's just easier to book what's pitched to me than it is to be like, oh, what's happening over there? Maybe I should do a little yeah. research. You know, sometimes, sometimes we take the easy route not to harm anyone, but unintentionally it does. Yeah, and I think I, we were falling into a similar, similar, in a similar um, way. And I think creating um, practices and behaviors for ourselves that pushed us to not fall into that is so important in any industry, to be honest. Um, and I think, yes, maybe having a list for someone is it like, oh, let me go to this list. Um, for others, it may be, you know, let me create an opportunity. Let me create, you know, a new position where I can hire more diverse candidates. Um, but first, it is that recognition that you talk about. Let me assess myself, <laughs> reflect where I'm at <laughs> and where, where I can do better, and then finding the resources to be able to actually make that happen. I, I love that. That is great. Well, listen, I, I'm so appreciative of what uh, you are doing, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining me today. What's next for you guys? What can we look forward to this summer? What's coming up? So many things, but one of the ones I'd like to mention is our Black Women in Food um, initiative is having a bunch of speaker series. We have a speaker series happening all year um, in New York, Atlanta, um, as well as where, where New York, oh, DC, right here in DC. <laughs> um, and so people can look forward to those in-person events. It's also sponsored by eOprah, where the Black Women in Food honorees for this year, as well as previous years, will be featured um, as panelists. So get to know their work, get to hear from them, get to experience some of their food where, where we can. Um, so look out for that. And then another major experience that will be coming is an actual um, convening like a conference um, in the fall for the Black Women in Food Initiative, um, open to anyone that wants to come truly to connect with Black Women in Food, um, to build relationships with them, to hire them, whatever it is, um, that will be coming in the fall. So look out for that and um, more to come. <laughs> Those are our biggest things that are really happening all year. Um, and I'm really excited because 
we really are honing in to the support that Black women in food need um, and investing all of our time to make sure that it happens this year and beyond. I love that. Okay, well, obviously, um, I'm in food. I am a woman. I'm not Black, but I support everything that you are doing. So anything that you are doing, please send to me. We'll make sure it's youwantit.com. Um, I'm definitely coming in September because I want to be able to meet more women and help uh, use my platform uh, to use their voice. So um, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Tell everybody where they can find you, Nina, on uh, both Instagram and online. Thank you so much, Nikki. So please check us out on our website, www.dinediaspora.com. Follow us on all platforms at, with at Dine Diaspora. Um, and sign up for our newsletter on our website. So that's the best way to like make sure that you're getting all the invitations to the events, getting all exclusive, getting discounts, whatever whatever you need in the food um, scene. We probably are ha we have it on on our platform. Um, and so I think just start from there. Any platform you choose of your liking, we're there. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. So I told you at the beginning of the show, it was going to be a fab, fab show. And it was, I am so glad that uh, Nina and I got to chat about all that she and her partner, uh, Mame Wache do with uh, Dine Diaspora. I mean, watching uh, young women create a whole new space, especially in the food world is just so exciting. And I'm uh, just delighted that we got to talk about it. And I'm looking forward to all that they do, not just this summer and fall, but in the future as well. So I want to thank you for joining me today on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. Again, you can follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, and you can tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. on 1500 for Foodie and the Beast with my husband, David. And of course, where it all began, the listareyouwanna.com, the online e-zine that tells you about every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. Please be safe out there. It's a little crazy. Uh, be kind to others, be kind to yourself, and uh, have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.